Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Ross Martin there. That's Greg Barnes there. That means this is the On The Beat Podcast. We are recording this on Monday evening. You'll consume it on Tuesday. As always, you need to sponsor Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com or at least support Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, um, especially with the holidays here. Get your orders in quick. Maybe they can get it to you by the time Christmas rolls around or go see them in Chapel Hill. And also rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on there and on YouTube. And of course, on InsideCarolina.com. If you're not a premium subscriber, you are missing out. Start with Greg Barnes. Greg, I guess the euphoria of Carolina's win over Miami on Saturday has not worn off. Uh, so we will continue to talk about it a little bit here, but I want to take a little different approach and that's um, from the grading standpoint, I know you're big on PFF grades. Ross is getting into it. I'm kind of like, I don't quite understand it. So help us understand it while discussing. Uh, let's start with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Their grades on PFF and what that says about what they did according to the experts. Well, look, I think a lot of people do get confused on, on what the grading means. And this is a different grading scale necessarily than, than what the coaches use um, but basically what what pff does is they look at every single play and they say okay javante williams on this play if he did what he's supposed to do uh, and didn't do anything spectacular he's going to get a zero okay because you have five options you have if you do something really bad like fumble it's minus two points uh, if, if you miss a pass block for example you run backwards uh, those kind of things is minus one. If you do what you're supposed to do, it's a zero. If you go above and beyond, it's plus one and then plus two. You know, I imagine his video game run was a plus two and probably would be a lot more if they allowed it. Um, and so they, they do that for each play that these kids play. And at the end of the game, they average it all up. And I think, I think average, kind of the, the base number is about a 60. And so that's why a lot of these, like for the offensive line, that's such a hard area to grade. Uh, if guys don't play a lot of snaps, or they're just kind of you know, do what they're supposed to do, it's not a big deal, you'll see a lot of 60s. And this is because, yes, yeah, nothing special, but nothing bad. It is what it is. Um, and so anything above that is good. And so a lot of people say, well, how did Javante not get 100? Well, I mean, on certain plays, he probably did get 100, but not on every single play. Uh, and they're grading more than just how they ran. They're grading, do they break tackles? Do they uh, pass protect properly? Do they do all these other things? And so when you combine all that, that's when we get the numbers. And we've talked about it before, Tommy. Um, it's not necessarily something you should say, okay, well, there's 10 snaps. How are they graded? You, you really need a full body of work. And that's when I think it's, it's relevant is when you, when you look at you know, a kid who's played 500 snaps over the course of a season, we've got a pretty good idea of that guy is good or not. And that's not a big credit to PFF, right? If any of the three of us or anybody listening to this had the time to go through every single play and grade a player, we'd probably come out to about the same thing. Everybody here knows that Javante Williams is one of the best running backs in the country. That is not a surprise to anyone. Um, but we don't have the time to do that. And so that's why we rely on PFF to do this. Um, and that's why some people may say, well, we figured his grade would be a lot lot better than that well when you're talking about guys that have grades in the in the mid 80s and above uh that's really really good hey you start getting up um elite every week when your grades in the upper 80s and especially when you get into the 90s raw so what does it say and i want to look at it this way i want to look at it on the season but against miami give me the top rated carolina offensive players they're good offense now okay hang on um <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I mean, it would make sense. Michael Carter and Javante Williams are, are one and two on the offense for UNC. Right behind them, Diami Brown, Antoine Green, and Sam Howe. Um, and, you know, Antoine Green maybe he had one catch, two catches maybe. But it makes sense that Carter, Williams, Brown, Howe are your top players. But you look at other grades, it breaks down. You have, you know, run blocking grades. So, Kamari Morales is on there for that. You, you scroll down, usually the offensive linemen, they ne- never get too high they're kind of in the 60s and maybe 70s and if they're if they're bad they're, they're below 60s so you have most of unc's offensive linemen uh jordan tucker zudu um in the 60s range you know and then like marcus mckeithen he's way down but his pass blocking grade is an 86 brian anderson's pass block blocking grade is an 83 so you kind of see that jo- uh, joshua zudu's pass Blocking grades, 87. So really good pass blocking grades. Those, Ross, those three guys you just mentioned, Azudu, McKeithen, and Anderson, those are their highest pass grades of the season. Yeah, and how many sacks did, did UNC give up? I think just one. So um, it's cool to look at. And it's color-coded, and it gives you a little bit of a taste for how they perform. Because if you look at this for, for a poor game, you'll see a lot less blues and greens, a lot more kind of oranges and reds, which is more of the negative. Like, Awesome Richards has a zero pass blocking grade. Do you see that, Greg? That ought to be right. But <laughs> I didn't that's, see that. that's, that's kind of how he's at the very bottom with a zero pass blocking grade. So, um, it's kind of, it, I think it's kind of fun. I don't, I don't get too into it, but uh, I mean, things like that kind of blow your mind. Um, but it's fun to look back and, and like, like Greg said, if it's, test your eyes and see, like, man, I think he had a really good game. And then you go back and and kind of see who had the best and compare what you thought to, to maybe what the professionals who grade this for a living see. And Greg, to your point earlier, it's not necessarily what the coaches see, but when you look at those grades, and I don't have them in front of me like you guys do, we talked about pass blocking grades, but how would any of them have anything other than very good run blocking grades? Or given how many tackles Javante and Michael Carter break, that might take away from their pass blocking – or, excuse me, their run block grades. I mean, how does that all factor into it? Well, Devontae's I, truck run, right? He didn't get he didn't get many blocks in that. Right. So, how does that play out? And that's one of the things. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the number is right now. I'll have to look. Well, actually, I, while, I'm, while I'm running my mouth, I can, uh, I can look. But, like, Javante and Carter, for example, on, on Saturday – well, on, on the season. We'll just do on the season. They've got 111 broken tackles. And so one of the things I actually like about PFF is they do split it up. You don't just say, well, North Carolina rushed for 554 yards. Everybody did well. Uh, You can actually say, well, Michael Carter and Javante Williams broke 30 tackles. And uh, because of that, they had really good afternoons. And that's a credit to them. But you start saying, well, wait a minute. If they were so good individually, maybe the offensive line really wasn't that good. Uh, and I think what we saw on, on Saturday is that Javante and uh, Michael didn't have to break many tackles. And when they did, it was typically in the second level. Um, and so I also think part of the issue with, with the blocking with a lot of um, college teams is, well, and NFL has kind of gone that way as well. But you have these zone blocking concepts. And so it's not as much one-on-one, hey, I'm blocking this guy which is easy to grade. Uh, you're, you're really looking at different things like pulls and, and just kind of slants off the line. And I think that's tougher for them to grade. And so I think that's one of the reasons you see more, okay, the guy looks like he, he did what he's supposed to do. And if he has a pancake block, well, obviously we're going to give him a good grade on that one. But I think that's one of the reasons the run grades aren't as high. And I, again, people need to realize that this is on a scale from zero to 100. So if somebody gets a, a 60 or so, that's, that's pretty good. That means they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And unless they're making plays that really pop, their grades aren't going to be a lot higher than that. How awesome Richard's got a zero. And <laughs> and <laughs> that must be a typo. Blocking. It must be, yeah. That must be a typo. It's pretty funny, though. <laughs> Ross, I, I'll let you flip to the defense. And, Greg, while I'm doing this, I want you to pull up the Western. Because I, I want to know what well, Javante I, I have Western up. I have Western up right now, Tommy. All right. And this is like live podcasting right here. So yeah, yeah. So – I saw your question. You, you want to know Javante Williams is great against Western, right? Yep. Three carries. Um, so he had a 69 offensive grade and 83 
pass blocking grade. Sorry, 83 passing grade, 73 pass blocking grade, and a 63.3 run grade. So he had three carries. What, eight yards or something like that? Yeah, so there's probably some algorithm that calculates, you know, amount of, you have to have a certain amount of yards to kind of get a certain amount of points because if you only have one carry and it goes for 10 yards, it's a good play, but you're not really going to get 100 for that. Um, and you want defensive grades now for uh, – Yeah, let's look at defense against yeah, Miami. Okay. So I, I think we can, can kind of move this into a discussion of the future of the defense um, as I pull this up here. Yeah, so defensive grades versus Miami on Saturday – the, the top player for UNC was Kyler McMichael. And, and that, I mean, the first half, I thought he was flying all over the field. He had a couple pass blocks, um, PBUs, pass uh, breakups, a couple good tackles. Let's see, he had one total pressure, one hurry, two tackles, two stops. Uh, he was targeted three times, got caught on once. So, I mean, he had two pass breakups. So, I mean, I, I thought he had a great game, and that was evident and backed up. Um, by the grade. Sorry, I scrolled off of it. And then number two, Tony Grimes. So you have the both cornerbacks graded the highest uh, for you for UNC. Grimes had a seventy-eight point five defensive grade, um, seventy-seven tackling grade, seventy-eight coverage grade. And behind him, you had two seniors, Chad Surratt, Tavon Fox. Number five was Cayman Rucker. Number six was Raymond Vohasek. And you're getting to the sixties now, high sixties. Jeremiah Gimmel, number seven. Cameron Kelly, number eight. Clyde Pinder. And you're getting some other players here. So, um, I mean, looking at this, you see that, you know, you have two underclassmen at the, at the top there. You have Cayman Rucker. You have Raymond Vahasek. They're all going to be back. Gimmel will be a senior next year. Kelly will be, a, I guess, a redshirt sophomore next season. So, and Desmond Evans, number 11. I mean, I thought he had a pretty good game, too. So, you have all this youth on defense and really all – all this team is losing is Patrice Rene, who only played three snaps against Miami. Um, Tamon Fox, who, who's been solid and been a, been a solid player for UNC for, for three, four years now. And Chaz Surratt, who's been, you know, obviously kind of an all ACC type player for two years now. So that's what UNC is losing, but you expect everyone else to come back. I raised a question on the boards about McMichael potentially, you know, he has an opportunity to go pro if he wanted to. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think he would, no intel there, but he's of draftable age. If for some reason Michael wants to test test the draft waters, but I don't, and I don't think he's had. I think he can put a lot more on tape to improve his draft stock because I think Michael does have NFL potential with his size and ability too. So, anything else from there, Greg? You see anything that stands out in terms of uh, PFF grades for defense? Who had the worst one? Just curious. Chris Collins, forty-seven, with a nineteen-point-three tackling grade. Right above him is your starting safety, Don Chapman. 49 with a 19.8 tackling grade. So Don Chapman, the safety, probably missed a couple tackles. I'd imagine that's, that's kind of what happened there. Well, he um, got cooked on long tight end play. So, yeah. And, go ahead. I was going to say, just kind of expanding this to JCC, people may say, well, Connor Michael had the best grade at 81.3. Well, the best grade of the week in the ACC um, was Wake's Miles Fox, who had at 83.7. Um, so McMichael actually had a actually had a, a pretty good grade, you know, relative to to what most everybody in ACC did. So again, that that's kind of an indication that to get an elite level grade, you've got to be making play after play after play. And so the guys that do have high grades, like a Javante Williams, who's up in the nineties, uh, that kind of tells you how special that that player is. And we can touch on Conley as well. I mean, I thought Conley played – I thought he had the best game of his career, and I think he was the best player on the field on the defense side of the ball maybe for UNC. His defensive grade was 59, so not horrible but not great. But his tackling grade was 80.8, and you saw him really completing solo tackles in the backfield. Open field. Open field, uh, tackles for a loss, and just putting the man down by himself. So you, you saw that success and that – you saw that now on PFF, and his uh, run defense grade was 73, and his pass rushing grade was 66. I mean, he is a beast. I don't know if we want to talk about him more, but he looked apart against Miami. He made the plays, and it was kind of refreshing to see a UNC player get the ball carrier down on first contact in the backfield and kind of, you know, make those uh, – be in the position to make the play and then make the play, which I think UNC struggled with ever since I've covered this team. Yeah, and, and Tommy, to expand on what I just said, I was having an issue with the toggling option here. Uh, McMichael had the fifth best grade in the ACC this week, 
and Tony Grimes was number 12. So, so two really good performances in ACC play. Yeah, and I think what people, when they see those grades, like Rock, you mentioned, it was 81. That's not that great. Well, I mean, yes, it is. Folks just need to realize that Javante Williams is just like off the charts good every week, and it shows in those grades. Greg, to Ross's point about um, the defense and what's coming back potentially for North Carolina, Buck mentioned it in the day after podcast that when you look at the stat sheet from the Miami game, two guys um, are guaranteed not to be here next year in Chapel Hill. It, when you look at the, the season stats, it's virtually the same way. I mean, Mac Brown understands that recruiting defense is important. The offense is going to be the offense. I fully believe that even without Carter and Williams, the offense can put up 40 points a game, 500 yards. Um, but if this defense gets up to speed, like they showed in the Miami game, Mac Brown's going to be a, a serious problem for everybody in the ACC and even everybody in the nation, right? Yeah, and I, I really do think – I think people need to take a moment and really appreciate how good this offense is. I mean, as I've said, this is the best offense UNC's ever had. And it's really not even close when you look at some of the, the numbers. Um, unfortunately, the, the defense really struggled early in the year. Um, and they ran into a very good Notre Dame team, and that's why they're 8-3. and three. They weren't really able to compete for the ACC championship. Um, but this offense is off the charts, one of the best in the country. And can they maintain that level? I don't think so. Maybe next year if Javante comes back, sure, they could be just as good. Uh, but I think moving forward, the offense can't hit at that clip. It's just not – I don't think it's feasible. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be bad. They're just not going to be at this elite level. However, to your point, if the defense takes a step forward, which with what we're talking about with only Chaz and Taman leaving, and you bring in elite guys like you know, Dilworth and Keyshawn Silver and Eccles and Ritzy, all these guys coming in, um, coming along slowly like some of the freshmen in this year, the defense is going to be markedly better. And I really think that if the offense comes down a little bit, but the defense takes a huge step forward, that's actually better for the team. I don't know how many times we've had a game plan podcast this year, Tom, and we've talked about, well, North Carolina's offense is elite, but the other team is really balanced. And so they have an advantage over UNC because UNC's defense has struggled so much. And that's, that's played out in several games, a number of games. I don't think you're going to see that moving forward. And so the offense doesn't have to be as an elite as long as the defense is a lot better. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the case. And we know how Mac Brown recruited at North Carolina. We know how he recruited at Texas. Um, and the defense is going to be great. It's just going to be a matter of does he have a good enough quarterback uh, to really reach the heights that he wants to reach. No question he does right now. But you've only got Sam Howell for one more year. And then you have to say, okay, can Chris Well or Drake May or any of these guys coming up, can they be anywhere as close to as good as Sam Howell? Probably not, but if they get anywhere close to that, then North Carolina is really in good shape. I think with the running backs, if you lose Carter, and you got to think Javante goes pro. Um, I mean, they are they are once in a ten year type talent, so it's be really hard to replace them. But I think with an experienced offensive line and another year of Sam Howe, you you kind of get there. But it's they might they might take a little bit of a step back, but like Greg said, I think it's going to be pretty close to maintain because I think wide receivers are going to be really good, if not better, even though you do lose Daz and maybe Diami. I think Josh Downs is, is, will be a special player. Um, but losing the running backs will be interesting to see how good the running game can be because – and that helps out everything. We've seen how helpful having those two running backs is for the, for the passing game. So it's going to affect everything. So as long as Elijah Green, DJ Jones, Josh Henderson, British Brooks, one of those guys is uh, – is above average. I think there'll be, you know, maybe just a little bit of a step down in terms of production. But yeah, I think the defense is going to take a huge step. You plug in Des Evans for Tamon Fox, you plug in uh, Kadri Jackson or Eugene Asante for Chaz Surratt, and then everybody else is going to get better. Though Hasek already looks better. I mean, he has a whole other year in the strength conditioning program. Miles Murphy is already pretty good, and he's going to get one more year in that strength conditioning program. You add in, uh, 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 Kedrick Bingley Jones and these freshmen we've already talked about. The corners will be better. Grimes will be better. McMichael will be better. I mean, it's just you think about everyone getting a little bit better. And um, I think be, the defense is going to be, 
I think really, really good in, in 21 and then maybe even better in 22. Yeah, that's uh, it, it, the uh, future looks bright on that side of the ball. I, I mean, and, and you didn't mention Kamara Evan, Edmonds and Caleb Hood, who I think will play roles in the back running the ball. It could be Caleb Hood. I mean, who knows how and he might pass all his guys. Running back is that one position where I think it's kind of a plug and play, a, a freshman come in and, and, and dominate if he's, uh, I don't think it's rocket science to learn the scheme. Yeah, blocking yeah. is tough, though. The, the blocking thing is always something you have to adjust to. Yeah, the, and I think that was maybe Michael Carter's issues, both of their issues when they were younger, is pass blocking and all, and they got significantly better as they got older. And, and you know, people say, well, nobody's going to break tackles like those guys will with the offensive line much better. They might not need to next year. So, anyway, Greg, let's turn it to uh, the future here this season. I wanted to discuss just right quick this orange, possible Orange Bowl versus playing in a lesser bowl against a lesser opponent. Um, for me, I think you play in the best bowl against the best team you can. It's a lose. It's a no lose situation there. Um, what's your take on matching up against, say, a Texas A&M in the Orange Bowl versus a maybe a lesser SEC team in the Gator Bowl? Should Clemson not make the playoff? Uh, I mean, is it important to win the bowl game, or is it important to be in the game? Yeah, I, I think. Uh... I got a question too after that about the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to say this the, the nicest way I can. I really think it's a loser's mentality to not want to yep. play against the best. Yep. Um, and it's one thing I understand it. You know, if if the head coach doesn't have a proven track record um, and you're struggling, you don't know exactly what the trajectory of the program is going to be. You want as many wins as you can, and you do want a bowl win going into the off season to really help with recruiting. Uh, but I made this point in my game scoop after Miami. North Carolina accomplished everything they wanted to this year. The, the Orange Bowl, if they get there, whatever bowl game they go to, is just cream on top because they needed to have a successful season. They needed to be able to, to finish with eight wins. They needed to be able to beat a team that they were favored or they were underdogs to. And they were able to go on the road against a top ten team and win. And that is the big check mark for this season. Uh, and so now you use that as momentum going into the offseason. Everything's in line with where you want it to be. And next year can be your really breakout year. Um, and so, yeah, see how you measure up against the Texas A&M, if that's who you get in the Orange Bowl. See how you do. If you lose, you know what? It's a learning experience. But as we were talking about, pretty much everybody's coming back. And the more experience you get in big-time games against big-time opponents, that only helps. Uh, those shared experiences are critically important. And the more adversity that you face and the more times you're in primetime games and the more times you have more people asking you questions and there's criticism and skepticism and all those things, that is good for the team. That's good for the program, and it builds upon itself. Um, and so for where Mac Brown wants this program to go and where everybody listening to this thinks it can go in the next several years, yeah, the more games like this, the better. Ross, I know you said you had a question. Let, let, me ask, let me ask Greg this. Hold on a sec, and I forgot what I was going to say. Um, but, yeah, I mean. Let me throw this one line. Let me, throw, let me throw this one line here. All right, go ahead. You noticed that Greg said cream on top. Not, not icing on top. Not cherry on top. He went cream on top. I've never heard that before. I had so, a uh, Irish coffee. <laughs> Starbucks guy. Uh, whipped, cream on top. whipped cream is good. I recommend it for the holiday season. There you go. go ahead. Never, never imagine Greg Barnes being a frou-frou coffee guy, Irish cream guy. It's got uh, bourbon in it. Come on. Well, where's ours? Okay. You need to, you know, share, send it. Uh, let me ask you a question about that. And again, you got me thinking about drinking, so I forgot my question. <laughs> um, look, boys, quarantine is not fun. Um, so, yeah, you, you don't have much time, much to do, but um, imbibe when you're on quarantine. Look at how Carolina improved from Notre Dame to Miami. I mean, Greg, to your point about being in big-time games. Like Max said, they were not ready to beat Notre Dame. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, they were able to get it done against Miami. Now, granted, Miami and Notre Dame are very different animals. Um, but just the mindset of the team, I thought, was completely different. Am I just misreading something there, Greg? No. And um, 
we had that conversation, uh, several of the reporters that, that went to the game about, you know, because Mac was making a big deal about competence and, and how they didn't really have enough of it against Notre Dame, but they did against Miami. Um, is, it, is it that, or is it the fact that for the first time all year, this team put together a full 60 minutes? We have not seen that, and Sam Howell talked about that, and how interconnected our confidence and the ability to do everything you're supposed to do on both sides of the ball. Uh, obviously, there's some correlation there. Uh, but I, I think really this is just a game where North Carolina, they just excelled. And they, as bad as they played in the first half in Tallahassee, uh, they played great in Miami. And everything clicked and they played well. Um, no doubt confidence plays a role. But I do think it's a matter of because they, they played Notre Dame, they saw how good Notre Dame was. They realized, hey, if we want to beat a team like that, we do have to take it up a notch. And we have to be better every single snap because if we don't, it can cost us. Um, and, again, that's part of those shared experiences, understanding kind of what it takes. And, um, I mean, credit to them. They, that first half was, was as impressive a half by a Carolina team as I've seen in a long, long time. Mm. I got a question. Greg, do you think Miami was that good, though? Like, I mean, obviously Notre Dame is a lot better, but I don't think Miami was some world beater. Correct. Um, yes, yeah, you're right. I mean, going in there, we thought that because you got the hype about Derek King and, and the, the defensive ends and Brevin Jordan. They have some good players, but I mean, I just don't think they're at that. Maybe, maybe they're a top 20 team. Top 10 maybe was a little, a little high. Maybe, yeah, they, they, they lost to Clemson 42-17, and that game was not close. And, and a lot of their games coming up to the UNC game was like pretty close games with NC State, with uh, Pittsburgh. Virginia Tech. Yeah. Virginia. Did y'all hear the rumor about uh, – Fuente might get fired this week. I don't see how he could not, but yeah. yeah, that's crazy. And then my last thing I want to make before we break for uh, for basketball: what has to happen for UNC to get in the Orange Bowl? Is it just Clemson winning and then they're in, right? Because then both Clemson and Notre Dame will be in college football playoff. Could Notre Dame? Uh, could Clemson keep it close and make it? I mean, what is there any other scenarios? Because I think everybody's assuming UNC is going to the Orange Bowl. Clemson could easily win, right? Oh, sorry, Notre Dame could win and UNC's left out. Correct. And that's super likely, right? Not super yeah. likely. That, that could happen. It could happen. And that's the thing. We're, we're assuming right now that North Carolina is going to jump Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the yeah. question is, does Miami fall further than UNC rises? And I think that's possibly the case. And so we had some people asking, can North Carolina, if they don't get to the Orange Bowl, can they get to a New Year's Six Bowl? I don't think that's likely. Um, can it happen? Sure, but a lot of things have to go in UNC's favor. So Orange Bowl is their best, best option. So assuming that UNC jumps Miami in the polls, mm-hmm. uh, the easiest way, yes, is for Clemson to beat Notre Dame because that yeah. Notre Dame is not going to fall out of the top four yeah. if they no lose chance. an ACC championship game. And so that Correct. would lock UNC in. Um, if Notre Dame wins, then it becomes a matter of, okay, so do you, do you allow a team – like Clemson, who's already lost twice to one of the teams in the playoff and who didn't win their ACC or their conference championship game, do you put them in over a team like Texas A&M, who even though they didn't get to the SEC championship game, their only loss is to a really good Alabama team who's probably better than everybody by a good stretch this year. And that's really what it comes down to. With Florida losing, um, Florida's going to have to beat Alabama to have a chance. And at that point – So if uh... – I don't, think, I don't think Florida gets in even if they beat Alabama. Well, yeah, they would because they'd be the SEC championship. Yeah, I mean, I think they would get in. You think they're guaranteed? I don't think they're they guaranteed, would? but I think they'd probably jump Alabama in that regard. Mm. They just lost to LSU, so, and LSU has played as I mean, bad as Florida State at times. So That's if, a pretty uh, impressive Clemson, win if you can beat Alabama. Um, yeah, if, I agree with that. If, if Clemson loses, I mean, you got to think they would not make the college football playoff, and then you think A&M would get in because they only have one loss. That's really the question. I mean, I, and then it'd be, I, it'd be Ohio State, Alabama, Notre Dame. And A&M. Uh, Texas A&M. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think the Florida game is much of a consideration anyway. I think Alabama is going to smoke them. Um, but if Florida yeah. comes out and looks impressive, then, yeah, I, mean, I think they – it depends on how far they fall this week. Um, but I think if they can beat Alabama, then they would jump back up into the conversation for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is, you know, if Notre Dame wins, what does the committee think about A&M versus Clemson? 
And I just yeah. I would have to say, given how good Alabama is, A&M would probably get the nod, which would send Clemson to the Orange Bowl. And it would send UNC to the Cheez-It Bowl. Should be great. Uh, <laughs> we can get some free stuff. For all those listening, make sure you check out a video I kind of retweeted last night, which would be Sunday night, that video that Greg sent out about the guy, about the Florida loss. That was oh, so yeah. Cool. That was awesome. That was great. A <laughs> uh, guy kind of complaining, uh, kind of reflecting on his life and his, his love for the Florida Gators and what just happened in that loss to LSU. All right, Tommy. We were watching that game here, and I could not believe that dude slung a shoe. And then it looked like just it started raining yellow. And, uh, yeah, I'm not a Florida fan, so no big loss there. I do like LSU, and I do think they're terrible. So I think Florida's loss to them is bad. I don't think Notre Dame misses the playoff by any chance. I don't either. I mean, I think Clemson could smoke them and Notre Dame's still in. So Ohio State's the one that benefits from Florida losing. I was going to say, so are we – what's our thought on Ohio State? Do they deserve I, to be in? I, I think you've you got to put them in, yeah. I mean – I don't think so. What do you all think test. about – The eye uh, test. What, an eye test four times, five times this year it's against fo- garbage fo- team? Football guys do eye test, Tommy. The football guys yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a recruiting. I mean, they're, they're the one of the top four teams. I mean, is it their fault that they only played five games? I, mean, I guess kind of the Big Ten's fault, honestly. I think. Mm, but they all, I don't know. Did y'all see about the uh, what the Pac-12 did, Greg? With uh, Washington. Washington can't play, so they just said, "Okay, Oregon, you're going to play for the championship." I mean, <laughs> Dude, Pac-12 <laughs> sucks, man. It's just how like, bad is it Pac-12? Well, didn't just, Washington play like I mean, three games or four games? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I just can't believe you just unilaterally say, okay, well, you can't play, so we're putting you in the championship game. What if Oregon well, wins? Is Oregon the champion? I guess. Well, you would have to be, yeah. What about, I mean, it's like the ACC just saying, all right, Clemson, Notre Dame, y'all are in. Your season's, your regular season's over. Go ahead and get in the ACC championship game. ACC kind of did that too. Well, yeah, they're protecting the purse strings, but nobody was beating Clemson and Notre Dame. Anyway, not Wake or whoever well, it is. Well, no one thought LSU was going to beat Florida. So. But let's Ballot. look. Southern Cal, for example, since we're talking about Ohio State, if Southern Cal beats Oregon, they're undefeated at, at 6-0. and USC will be? Yeah. And they've beaten nobody. And, and they've had to have three last-second scores to win against mediocre teams. Yeah. But I mean, and, and Ohio State's going to get – I mean, Northwestern's not awful. So, they're, they're going to get – that game will probably be a blowout, but it's not like Northwestern's some awful team. Like, they, they, that'll be a good win. They're, they're ranked ahead of UNC right now. Yeah. yeah. I, my ideal playoff would see Alabama beat Ohio State by 30 in, in the semifinals. That would make me happy. We've had that discussion as to why around here. And I don't think there's too many Ohio State people list this podcast, so nobody to be offended. Let me take a second and talk about Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors of this podcast and great friends of Inside Carolina. They're always offering sales. In fact, I get an email every day, sometimes two a day, for sales going on here during the holidays. It is getting close to – uh, the mail date or the deadline for stuff to be delivered. So you need to get your order in. If you can't get it in the mail, go get it. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Sponsor them um, as they sponsor us or support them as they sponsor us. And they're alumni owned and operated. And of course, 10% off your everyday order if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. National guys are going to pay the bills. We'll come back talk a little Carolina basketball. It's the On the Beat podcast. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Boys, we're back on the Beat Podcast, InsideCarolina.com. Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate us, review us, and of course, subscribe on YouTube. Greg Barnes, Ross Martin. Greg, let's talk basketball. No, I'll start with you, Ross, since you covered the Central game. Get off your phone and talk to me. I feel like I'm talking to one of my children. Um, Carolina versus Central. That game was quite interesting. Rapidly put together, 
I mean, I love Lavelle Moton, but is Carolina just not very good yet? I mean, is that what's going on, or, or we're just missing something due to 2020 COVID issues and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it was just not much energy. Uh, it was a sleepy Saturday, early afternoon. Um, yeah, I don't, it's not much to take away from this game. I, I think the guards are still getting a feel for the um, – the guards still get feel for the offense and what they need to do. The, the only player that really showed up was Armando Baycott, and that was mostly on the free throw line. Um, he scored 19 points. I thought I was going to break his uh, – I thought he was going to set a career mark. He had 19 points within a couple of minutes in the second half. Um, I mean, really, Playtech's eight-point run in the second half is really what sparked UNC to kind of get the comfortable lead, and they kind of gave it up. Um, you know, sitting here, I was – my mind was on Miami as I was writing the game story. Um, so there wasn't like just too much to take away of the fact that they got out with a win and I don't think Roy was too happy with what went on. Um, they were the better team. I don't know. It was, it's worth kind of uh, a lot, a lot to talk about. Cause you know, Daron didn't play that great. Brooks was, was unimpressive. I thought, um, no one really stood out other than Playtex eight points. Baycott. I mean, Baycott is a, you, you, you think about Daron Sharp and you think about Garrison Brooks as kind of these two fan favorites right now but Baycott's been pretty steady and he had a, he had a big performance as well it just kind of shows you the depth of UNC's front court um and the fact that and we had an article up today about Playtech and the fact that he's kind of become you know a, a three-point threat for UNC which is uh I don't know if we would have thought that a year ago two years ago but he's he's shooting 50 percent from uh three so that's uh a, a storyline of sorts but we'll see a lot more against Ohio State Another, another big test come up here on Saturday as Greg heads to, to Cleveland to cover that game. Um, that's kind of that's all I got right now. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, Greg didn't watch, I don't think, right? Tommy, you watched, right? What do you think? I, I watched it. I just uh, – you know, you're right about Baycott. I thought you – know, this is a guy we didn't hardly talk about when we were leading yeah. to the season, and now he's averaging 11 and 9. And what I like to see is he's shooting 77% from the field, 71 and a half from the free throw line. I mean, he is the only guy, and this is it's early, but he's the only guy exceeding expectations today or, or this, thus far this season. I mean, Playtech, yeah, he's, he's made some shots. I think Playtech is purely matchup driven for Playtech. I mean, you saw against teams like Texas, I mean, he had nothing for those guys, but against a team like Iowa and Central, I mean, he can make some shots. But, Greg, I mean, you've been covering – Y'all extensively covered last year, right? And at this point last year, I don't think these teams are very different in how they perform. But last year's team at least had – showed flashes of being really good and against Oregon, for example. This year, um, you know, in a, in a season that really experienced guards make the biggest difference, Carolina without them has just not looked – very good to me. I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's just what I've seen. Yeah, and I, I think the fact that Cole Anthony came in and was just a dominant player from day one um, really helped UNC. Because if you have a player that good who looks great early, I mean, what he did against Notre Dame was incredible. Um, it takes so much pressure off everybody else. Yeah. But now you're in a situation where your backcourt is, I mean, it's freshman, right? And I, I think – we all expected Anthony Harris to already be back, and we all expected him to probably be at the two. Um, and so that's a key piece of the puzzle that's not, not able to play right now. And I think you're right with play tech. It's kind of a matchup deal. Um, but I think he, he brings good leadership. Um, and I like the fact that you have a lot of guys contributing. I mean, you've got four guys in, in double figures. Uh, Dayron Sharp has had some good games. And you're going to get that out of freshman, up and down play. Um, they've been pretty good defensively. They haven't been great. And then they just have to figure out the offense. And I think that's going to come yeah. once these young guys realize that, hey, uh, shot selection has to be better. I mean, we can talk about them shooting poorly all day long, but a lot of it's because they're not taking the best shots. And on top of that, get the ball inside, right? I mean, I guess Iowa, uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but something like their first five shots were all outside the paint. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. That, that, that's not how you do it. Um, and what did, what did we see the second half against Texas to start the second half? And what did we see against Iowa? Getting the ball inside. Roy, that's right. Roy was like, look, guys, throw the ball inside. And when they do that, 
everything looks normal and they play really well. But you can't dig yourself holes against good teams and expect to make that up. I um, mean, that, that's, that's why they have two losses. And I think if they win one of those games, we're having a different conversation. But l- l- let me throw this in. North Carolina is not alone. Uh, there's a handful of really good teams out there. Uh, and Gonzaga's at the, the top of the list, and Baylor's up there as well. But just looking at the Ken Palm projections for the ACC, I mean, they've got, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams projected between 12 and eight and 11 and nine in conference play. Um, so everybody's struggling a bit early in the year, which is going to make ACC season when it starts next week kind of wild. So I, I think, yeah, I think what UNC has is a dominant front court, and that's how they're going to win games. You saw how good they were when Brooks was really establishing position, getting the ball and just immediately scoring, and same with times with Baycott and Brooks. And I think we need to talk more about the Iowa game than, than the um, Central game because you can kind of glean more from that. And I think UNC at times looked great against Iowa when they kind of got back to basics and went on that big run. And they took the lead, right, in the second half, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took a lead for one point in the second half against a really good Iowa team that that had a a big game this weekend again. And so that's going to be the strength. Figure out the ways to get the ball inside. That's up to the guards. It's not as easy as you would think to just pass it inside. You've got arms everywhere. You've got bodies everywhere. You have defenses constructed to prevent that from happening. So you really have to work hard as a big man to, to get position. You have to run certain sets that open things up and allow for those things to happen. And the point guards, I mean, point guards will start understanding the best way to do that. They'll build a little bit more chemistry to understand where Baycott, Sharp, and Brooks kind of want the ball. And that takes time too. I mean, that takes time and pick up basketball. When you're playing with your boys, you got to kind of know where you want the ball. Do you want it high? Do you want it low? How do you get the angles right? And that comes with time. That's why you could see certain players like Leaky Black are, are, are at times better at, uh, passing the ball inside because they kind of understand what is expected and the, the passing lanes and the length and athleticism of the defender. So that's big too. I think a big thing is when Puff Johnson and Kerwin Walton need to come in, they got to hit shots. I mean, there were a couple open threes that Kerwin's missed already. And you're just hoping that that goes in. Cause that just, it's a game changer. We can have a, a freshman come in and knock down two threes, opens things up. It gives you, obviously gives you three points, which is, which is beneficial for the game. And those kind of things need to happen because UNC is not shooting well from three. Um, they didn't shoot well for three last year either. So that needs to change. And if they do that, they can open things up. And another thing I noticed was RJ Davis is short. I mean, he is a, a short player. He's, he's continuing to adjust to the size of college players. At times he was uh, struggling against Central, and you'd expect the competition to get increasing, increasingly better. So you're seeing the limitations of Davis, a guy that's uh, – I don't think he's even six foot. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to kind of dominate the way he did uh, playing in the New York leagues. Um, so that's something to watch. But I think with Davis, you have a great player. It's probably going to be a, a four-year player at UNC, which is kind of exciting when you think about how good UNC was with Paige and Barry as four-year point guards. Yeah, and Tommy, I think it's time. I, I think it's time for our annual disclaimer about how Roy Williams <laughs> operates, right? I mean, it's the second week of December. I think, I think we're ready. Um, <laughs> I mean, Iowa's a great example. Like, if you wanted to scheme to specifically win that game with how the game started, then you would tell all your perimeter guys, don't even help whatsoever. Not only are we not going to try to double down, you stay on your man on the edge. And if they get by you, fine. We're just going to deal with this right now, and we'll work on the other stuff later. Didn't happen. And that's for a reason. It's because, especially this year, you don't have – you lost four games. So and you didn't have some of the preseason opportunities that you did. So you really lost five or six games when you count in the exhibition and the close scrimmage. So Roy Williams knows what he wants his team to look like defensively in February. To get there, you have to go through the trial and error right now. Um, and what happens is they lose some of these early season games. How many of these ACC Big Ten games have they lost on the road to a really good Big Ten team? It seems like a lot. I mean, Indiana, Illinois were kind of beatdowns that, that uh, immediately come to mind. Um, but there's, there's been a number of those games, and people get so frustrated with it, and I get it, I understand. But it's for a purpose. Um, and you can disagree with his defensive mindset of we have to defend the rim first, and we can get into the analytics. I know what the analytics say. But this is what he does. This is, what he, this is how he coaches, and it's, it's just what it is. Um, but what we've seen year in and year out is by the end of the year, 
the team's playing a lot better defensively. And every single one of his title teams and every single one of his teams that reached the Final Four were really good defensively in March. And that's what he's going for. Um, and so I, I, I feel like I need to put that on a loop because I think we, we do it every single year. But it's important for people to understand. You're, you're absolutely right. And I'll backtrack or I'll walk back what I said earlier. They, had, they did look good in stretches against Iowa and against Texas when they did, when they played Carolina basketball. Um, I mentioned the, the youth of Carolina's guards versus a team like Iowa or a team like Texas. I mean, you look at Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, they're both averaging 30, 30 minutes a game and nobody else is. Leakey's at almost there. Um, but you wager, you go look at Gonzaga, and of course they have a great freshman, but you look at Gonzaga and Baylor, Texas, uh, Iowa, all those guys are loaded up with upperclassmen. And this year with no practice and no coherent um, – day-to-day for the last eight months, you see the you see what happens. So, Greg, my question is this. How long does it take for Carolina to sort of figure it out? I mean, you got Ohio State, what, Saturday, um, and then you got NC State coming, coming to town. I mean, NC maybe. State, maybe, yeah, <laughs> you're right. And if they do come, State's got a way – State basketball has a way to cure all Carolina eels, especially since Roy Williams has been there. But, I mean – you know, this is you, you, trial by fire. I think you said that earlier, something similar. I mean, that's what it's going to be, I think, until at least February, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, too, and I, I do this as much as anybody, but when North Carolina has given up all these three-pointers and teams are scoring on them at will, it seems like, we harp on the defense. Uh, but last year, it wasn't so much defense as it was offense. Mm-hmm. And you look at what North Carolina is doing right now offensively, they're 218th nationally in effective field goal percentage, and they're 252nd in turnover percentage. That is not Roy Williams basketball. And if a Roy Williams team is not going to be great offensively, I mean, you can pretty much forget it. And so, yeah, they have to get better defensively, and that will take time. I think the bigger question, though, for this team to, to get off to a good start in ACC play, they've got to figure out a way to score the ball more efficiently, and they've got to figure out a way to take care of the ball. And those two things go hand-in-hand in in terms of how the the young guards bring the ball to the court, some of the passes they they make, and all those kind of things. But I think that has to take place first and foremost. The defense will come, but the offense, that's got to get better quickly. Ross, expound on that. I mean, 74 points a game. Roy, look, to Greg's point, even in Carolina's best teams, the defense was good. It was not elite. It got elite during tournament time for certain runs. But uh, like we mentioned with Ty Lawson and those guys, they were like, you go ahead and score. We're going to score five to your two. So, I mean, who who needs to be the guy to step up? I don't think it can be a big that can step up personally. Cause, I mean, I, I've been impressed with the ball pressure from UNC's freshman guards. Um, that stood out to me. So, I think those guys ha- are understand what's needed in terms of defensive pressure. I think the energy of, of Dayron has been um, – I think he, he, he knows the energy level. He, he knows kind of what to do out there. And then, of course, Brooks is, is one of the better defenders UNC's had. So, I think – I'm not, not too worried about the defense to understand. Um, I mean, I think I, w- I was going to make shots against anybody that night. So, and that was, that was – What about great. offensively? Is Garrison – is he pressing, you think, in his senior season? I don't think so. I mean, I think he's been okay. What's he averaging? 13-something? He's got 11.8 and 7.7, but 47% from the field, 58.5 from line. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about him. I mean, he's going to get his points, I think. Um, they've got to figure out a better way to get him the ball. He's got to become a little more involved in the offense, get him more touches. There were times when, um, against, even against Central, I noticed, I mean, there were times when the no big man touched the ball. I mean, that just can't happen. I mean, you've got to you know, kind of get the ball inside a little bit and work it around. I just think there's some things that are going to work through. I mean, we're five games in now, six games in. So, I'm not, I'm not too worried. I mean, they got the players. We, we've seen flashes. I mean, Caleb Love flashed a little bit on offense. You see these guys drive. I mean, the talent's there. Kind of putting it all together. And they'll have time that like we talked about. This whole time, they're in, they're in Chapel Hill. They're going to be working. You know, there's going to be probably a couple games canceled here and there, and they'll be working through that. So, by the time January rolls around, I think we'll, we'll see a, a better UNC team. Greg, uh, off topic. I mean, who's who's any good in the ACC? I mean, Duke is yeah. not. 
State is State one of the best teams? Clemson? I mean, is I think, that ridiculous? I think Florida State's. I mean, right now, Florida State's probably the best team. I think Louisville's going to be good. I think a lot of these teams, everybody kind of makes a big deal about how the, the teams have started. I mean, it's been a mess. I mean, COVID has just been a mess for everybody. And I really think, uh, you know, while Gonzaga has looked great in a little bit of time that they've played, most teams haven't. I mean, Kentucky was down to by 20 <laughs> to Notre Dame the other day. And Notre Dame scored 16 points in the second half and beat yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I love me some Mike Bray, but, I mean, come on. Um, so, I, I think we'll see a lot, of, a lot of these teams look a lot different and look a lot better once we get into January. Um, but, I, you know, everybody's hard on Virginia because they, they lost the game and, and had a close one a couple of days later. I think, I think Virginia is going to be good, like they typically are. Um, I think FSU is really good. I think they have some good options. I, I think the, uh, the Scotty Barnes kid is going to be really good, and they've already got a couple good guards. Um, Duke, yeah, doesn't look good. But I think there will be enough good teams that it will be a competitive thing. And uh, Carolina, I think the good thing is there's not a great team. And so whichever team gets their act together quickest is going to have a little bit of a leg up, and you know, North Carolina is in that mix. Yep. Young guards figure it out. Bigs continue to play. And like Ross says, get the ball where they need it. And Playtech needs to hit some shots. And look, shout out to Leaky Black. Uh, he, yeah. We've ridden him sometimes unmercifully. He's, he's played well. He still does some things that make you wonder, make you think, as Ross likes to tweet all the time. But he certainly stepped up a lot. I mean, if he gives Carolina a 9-9 and nine or 10-8 and eight every night, you take it and run it and, yep. and run with it. So that'll do it. On the Beat Podcast, I'm Tommy Ashley, Ross Martin, and Greg Barnes. They are inside Carolina's beat writers, the best beat writers in the business covering North Carolina sports. Johnny T-Shirt sponsored us. Guys, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. We probably won't talk. Maybe we'll talk the week of Christmas. I'm not sure. Maybe after Ohio State. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, safe travels and be safe. Thanks, Tommy. Yep. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.